Welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a freelance film writer and part-time archaeologist slash adventurer slash heartbreaker. It's Will Ashton. Howdy. I have to, yeah, you're wearing the hat. Very I'm nice. Wearing, I'm wearing the hat. Did you get that hat from uh, you know, Runaway Circus Train Adventure where you're trying to uh, foil a bunch of grave robbers? You know, I'm going to save the origins of this hat for my my own like young Will Ashton series that's going to go on to Disney Plus uh, maybe I'd in a few it. years. Yeah, you know, um, I was hoping it'd be kind of, it would make me feel more like indie, but it makes me feel like I'm doing like a Red Dead Redemption 2 gameplay. I did not know you even know what Red Dead Redemption 2 is. It's kind of weird to hear those words coming out of you, your mouth, you in mm-hmm. the most not video game person. Right. <laughs> I know. Well, it's funny that, yeah, because yeah, um, I don't know if you've been listening to Joe Perra's podcast, but he does a whole episode about Red Dead Redemption 2 and how it gave him sanity and peace during uh, the pandemic. So. Wow. It gave me sanity and peace during 2018. I'll say sure. that. Yeah, fantastic game. Yeah. One of the greatest games ever made, I would say. That's what I heard. I have no idea. Well, you know, Will Ashton, if you and I were roommates, and, uh, you know, you would, in, in 2018, no less, you would have been every single day coming out there, and I'd be either playing Red Dead Redemption 2 or Marvel's Spider-Man on PS4. And you would you would have a, an idea, you know? You'd have a, a deeper connection, probably. Yeah. Those are, those are a couple of adventures, right? They're adventurous video games. They're about adventure. How fun. We're going to talk about a movie here, Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny, which is its own kind of adventure. And I was thinking about this when I was just kind of thinking, we're going to talk about Indiana Jones, how fun. This is the fourth movie, but or no, the fifth movie. This is one of the biggest, most prolific franchises that you and I have never talked about on Cinemaholics. Right, because we, especially ones with Harrison Ford, we've talked about Star Wars, we've talked about the Fast franchise, we've talked about the Avatar movies at this point, we've talked about it all, all these Marvel things. You and I have talked about so many movies, so many franchises, but one of the ones with the biggest gaps, but is still a pretty big one, is Indiana Jones. The last one came out in 2008, that was Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it's been 15 years. And we have talked about the, you know, 2008 before, what a year for movies uh, especially in terms of beginnings and endings right because yeah. this one kind of it was supposed to crystal skull was supposed to be the end was a little bit disappointing so i figure for indiana jones and dial of destiny we just kind of have we have to open with it because we haven't really talked about indiana jones we may have like briefly mentioned it when we were talking about uncharted last year i'm not sure but i know for me indiana jones not the most like important franchise to me growing up what about you it's interesting yeah because like i feel like like i had less of a relationship to indiana jones i did something like the james bond series or even like star wars but i feel like i have like a greater swell of emotion when i like know there's going to be a new indiana jones movie i don't know just because of the exclusivity of it or just the like promise of adventure or what it is but like I mean, I love Raiders of the Lost Ark. I think that is one of the best adventure movies out there. It's just top to bottom, great movie. Got to see it on the big screen earlier this year. Had a great time. It was like first time seeing that movie in 
probably well over a decade. I rewatched it in 2020, I want to say, and it just it never gets old. Yeah, it just moves like gangbusters. It's, you know, Spielberg just shooting lightning. Great casting on uh, Paris Ford's part. Just there's so many wonderful things you can say about that movie. Um, I recently revisited uh, the sequels, including Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, I will say I, for the longest time, was not a Temple of Doom guy. I don't know where you stand on Temple of Doom. It's my problematic fave. Okay. I think it's not a great movie, but I was more into it this time around. I think I saw more of its virtues and strengths this time. I saw it as a kid before Raiders of the Lost Ark, and which is weird. It's like watching Empire Strikes Back first. Although in this case, it's a prequel, right? So actually, it kind of logistically makes sense. Yeah. But you know what? You know what I like about Temple of Doom? Because look, yeah, Raiders, it's, un- it's unimpeachable. And I would say that Last Crusade is more of that. Yes. But Temple of Doom is just kind of cool, man. Like, sure. it, it's got some weird things about it. Very, very culturally messed up. But it's just so... Is edgy the wrong word? <laughs> like, I just like how its vibe is such a drastic departure. And it feels like a dangerous movie, which I really like. Like, it's it's going for something a little bit different. And I know a lot of people don't like the love interest in that movie. Well, it's got. I think that she's actually like she's. I'm glad that she's so different from Marion, and I'm glad she's kind of unlikable. There, there's something just interesting about it mm. to me, and it, it's probably just nostalgia to be honest. Because I, I would sure. imagine people going back to the movie are kind of like, yeah, is this pretty much a pretty big step down, isn't it? But no, I I think it's it's kind of it's just kind of cool, you know. Yeah, I mean, I don't know where it's my place to talk about Willie Scott as a man, but I will say I find her to be a inherently pretty misogynistic character oh for sure yeah i mean no it's it's a wonder she married steven spielberg well that's the thing <clears throat> seeing the movie again after seeing the fablemans sure like it's so fascinating to me how much willie scott has qualities of uh mincy's character or michelle williams character we should say spielberg and george lucas were both going through divorces when they make temple of doom Oh, I didn't know Spielberg was, but I, I yeah. didn't know that George Lucas was. And I know he's on record saying I was not in a good mood. And knowing Willie Scott, outside of like the moms in the village, is like the only real prominent woman character in that movie and how she's depicted, portrayed. I mean, I'm not going to say that she's like, you know, like the. I mean, I, I do agree that like she, she has a good spunky energy. I think she plays well against Indiana Jones and subsequently the actress plays well against Harrison Ford. I do agree with you that it is nice to see a character that's not just like Marianne twice. You know, it's like a little yes. bit different. Uh, and I think that's kind of where I stand on Temple of Doom overall is that like, I think it's a movie I respect more than I like. I think it's kind of the sum of its parts. Like, I, I really enjoy the set piece. I like what you're saying where it's like, it's darker, and it's bolder, and it's weirder, and it's meaner than the previous film. It kind of goes for broke. There's some really cool character designs. I love Short Round. He's fantastic. He's my boy. Kwan Kwai, who look, I'll, I'll just say this now because I don't want people to be disappointed. He's not in Dial of Destiny, which is nonsense. Right. I, I, I don't understand. Really surprised he didn't make a cameo. I was kind yeah. of holding out hope, especially since he's now working with Disney. Like I, I know he did that Disney Plus show with also I Michelle Yeoh. They wanted to do it, but it was a scheduling thing because after everything, everywhere all at once, they could have easily filmed a quick cameo. That's easily. what I thought. It's already a pretty long movie, though. So I, you know, two and a half hours. I mean, you know, in the midst of all this uh, action adventure, Harrison Ford gets a phone call. It's short round. Being yeah, like, yeah. Indy, 
I need to get to Morocco. How am yeah, I going to yeah. get there? Yeah. <laughs> Short round. What do you got for me? And he's like, now he's the suave, you know, tuxedo James Bond character. Right. And he's like, Andy, it's so great to hear from you. But he's all debonair, right? Sure, yeah. <laughs> Your car will be there in a half an hour. Just kidding. Like two hours. Like have some fun. That would have been hilarious. Everyone would have loved it. The whole audience would have screamed. Well, I mean, if we're going to have like 1,500 action chase scenes in this movie, I think there could have been a fun reversal where, you know, like you said, Short Round's the one the tuxedo and stuff, and Indy's the driver. Mm-hmm. And, you know. Short Round's like, get in, Indy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now you're going to listen to me. <laughs> I, I rewatched Temple of Doom pretty recently. Um, I'll, you know what? Actually, I remember I rewatched it not too long after I rewatched Raiders because I saw it at a drive in with uh, my now wife and a couple friends. And that was super fun because I had never seen any of the Indiana Jones movies in theaters except for Crystal School. But I, and also by extension, I had never seen them at a drive-in and a drive-in is a great experience to watch an Indiana Jones movie. I don't know what you think about that, but it is, it's really, really fun. And Temple of Doom, yeah, it it, it just it lands um, on on the, in the drive-in experience. Last Crusade yeah. is the one I haven't revisited much. I re- I watched the first like thirty minutes yesterday because I was kind of like, oh yeah, you know, it's it's been a long time. And I remember that was like a movie we watched in like middle school. I remember, um, which I think <laughs> was the first time I ever watched it was like in class. But I I don't know, I don't know why I just never thought Raiders the Last Lost Ark. I never just. I wasn't into those movies. Like I knew what they were. I watched Raiders for the first time when I was in high school. Cause one of my friends was like obsessed with it. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, it's interesting that we kind of grew up in the age of like indie imitators because, you know, there's this long gap after right. last crusade where I think they're flirting with making a fourth Indiana Jones before the kingdom crystal skull. There's going to be five of them. Sure. So originally there Spielberg are. and Lucas were like, oh yeah, they, they always had five in mind. But then after Last Crusade in 1989, they decided, I think specifically Spielberg was like, you know what? I think what should happen next is a young Indiana Jones series, not mm-hmm. another movie. Because I feel like the the creative juices had run out. They were like, we can't just keep doing the same thing with this character anymore. Like this, this movie kind of ends it. Sure. And Harrison Ford's like, why not? <laughs> I'm still going. I, I love this new era for Harrison Ford. Sure. Where he's just like, you know what? Those lame movies I used to do, they're all right. Sure. They're all right, kid. They're all right. But don't get cocky. Yeah. But um, I was going to say, like, we kind of grew up in this age of, like, indie imitators. And we had, like, the Mummy movies. And we had, like, the National Treasure movies. Mm-hmm. They're not picking up the slack for the lack of Indiana Jones Great films. movies, though. Big hits. And I would sure. say, yeah, Mummy was the one I was like... That was a must see. I I couldn't. That was one of my first like big action adventure movies I got to see in theaters. The Mummy, and of course my favorite movie of all time, The Mask of Zorro. Sure, yeah. Which you know, obviously it's it's deriving um a huge legacy from the Zorro movies of a whole century. But Zorro, I've always looked at that uh, and been like, yeah, there's set pieces, the drama, the melodrama, like the practical filmmaking. A lot of that comes from indie, but it also. The Indiana Jones ride at Disneyland uh, and Disney World. Mm. You know, it, it's just Indiana Jones was everywhere. You know, it was one of the first things that uh, introduced me to like the one of the, like the main cultural staples of Raiders would be the Rugrats movie. The Rugrats movie has a oh. whole cold open dedicated to to the yeah, cold yeah. open of Raiders of the Lost Ark. And it's it's well done. 
Sure, yeah. Also, like UHF doesn't don't they also do something similar with that? UHF? No, UHF, the Weird Al movie. Don't they do like a pretty like shot for shot like recreation of the Raiders opening? Am I misremembering? What's UHF? The Weird Al movie. The one that came out last year? No, not weird. Yeah, I was going to say. Like, well, you got uh, I've, never, I've well, never seen it. Go to Letterbox, type in UHF, and put that movie in your watch list, baby, because that's a pretty it's good like, comp. It's like you, like you are a Jeff? No, no. U, the letter U, the letter H, and the letter F. I'm looking at it right now. Oh, I've seen this poster. I was going to say. Definitely seen this poster. Kevin McCarthy. The congressman? Just kidding. Mm. Uh, David, not David Bowie, but David Bow. Who are these people? Okay, I see it. Uh, I have a lot of mutuals who have watched it, and they're probably, you know, when they're listening to this, they're going to be like, John, <laughs> you should watch movies from now on. Sure, yeah, it's a good idea. Um, but anyway, uh, going back to indie, I will say Last Crusade, probably my second favorite indie film. Is it playing it safe? Sure. Is it less memorable than Raiders and even Temple of Doom? Sure. But it just has that great dynamic of Sean Connery and mm-hmm. Harrison Ford working together. It's fresh, but it's also poignant. It has some emotional heft to it. I like the Ilsa romance. I think the femme yeah. fatale thing, like it's, it works. I know there are people who look at it and, and they're like with fresh eyes and they're like, that's a little, that's a little weird, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, like kissing Nazis. And it's like, sure. all right, like it was 1989. It was a different time. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I rewatched that movie. I was really taken by how great like the set pieces are for that movie. Um, you know, it, it, it has a lot of great action beats. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, I don't feel it's as memorable as the first two, but I just feel like that movie still really works. And I feel like that movie does the thing that a lot of movies try to do now and usually don't accomplish, where it does like the like, here's why he's afraid of snakes. Here's where he got the hat. Here's where all this stuff, but it actually feels like fun and fresh. Like it's like we get this all out in the first 10 minutes. It's not like, you know, as much as I do ultimately enjoy solo, like I feel like that movie is like too beholden to like, here's where he gets the jacket. Here's where he gets the Millennium Falcon, all that stuff. And here's why he's obsessed with museums. Sure. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, and then also, obviously, you know, the great, uh, late great River Phoenix does a wonderful job imitating Harrison Ford there. And, uh, so. you know, I mean, it's a fun set piece at the beginning of the film. The opening, the opening still works really well. And you know what? I, I just remembered, besides last night, the last time I watched Last Crusade was literally on, I, when I was in high school, we went on a bus ride and they were playing it. They played it like twice on like the bus, like TVs or whatever. Sure. And yeah, I mean, I've just never watched that movie in a proper format. I wonder what it would like, what it would be like to see The Last Crusade that way. But yeah. I've seen so many like parodies and stuff of sure. like Chosen Pool, like all that stuff. And mm-hmm. It, it, again, it's like these movies have always been in the periphery. They've always been in the background for me. But compared to you, I know you're 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 teeing into Crystal Skull. Sure, I had no excitement or hype whatsoever for *Kingdom of the Crystal Skull*, but everyone around me did. Everyone oh. around me was like, "I cannot!" But like this movie looks fantastic. When the first still came out, Harrison Ford, you know, as Indy again, people were like, "I can't wait." So, you know, there was the hype for it was almost kind of the same as *Phantom Menace*. It seemed like. 
And I was just sort of like, it's another movie. It's probably not going to be like, I I would watch the, the trailers. Like I was working at the movie theater at the time. I'd see the trailer all the time. And I'd be like, I don't know. To me, it looks kind of lame. I I didn't, Mm. I didn't think it looked very good. And I was like, he's older. Like what's the point? And I've just always felt like I'm not, I'm not the Indiana Jones stand that I should be because these Mm. are my kind of movies. You're hearing this and I can see you being like, this doesn't make any sense. This isn't computing. This is John we're talking about. Yeah. John loves like, lame cheesy swashbuckling adventure b movie material and so what's going on here but no. i just i don't know and i had no hype for dial of destiny at all i was like whatever uh, another Indiana jones movie <laughs> if you say so no i mean i was gonna say but in regards to kingdom of crystal skull that was the summer of 2008 and even though like i said like i feel like i don't have like a deep reverence for Indiana jones like the hype to see Indiana Jones on the big screen again made that movie probably my like most anticipated for the summer. And this is a summer that had, you know, later the The dark Dark Knight Knight. and like Iron Man and like several other notable films, including everyone's favorite animated film, space chips. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Space chips. My, um, for me, I mean, I mean, my most anticipated was probably be mama Mia. Yeah. Same weekend. All those three movies, same weekend, but also mummy tomb of the dragon emperor and the incredible Hulk. So like it, if anything, I was a little bit more curious about Tomb of the Dragon Emperor. I was like, oh, another mummy movie. Brendan, let's go. No, I mean, that's the thing, right? Is that like, even though I had probably more affection uh, for like that first mummy compared to the indie sequels, I was like, it, uh, mummy, I'm done with that. Indie's back. Like, I'm, I'm like, I'm over the mummy movie. Like in that third one, like, I think maybe it was, I was kind of tainted by uh the scorpion king and like you know like the second mummy movie is as good as the first one and had like kind of wonky cg and stuff and i don't know i just was i was fully back into the indie train by that point so i was pretty hyped i would i would say honestly like i i just did not have any interest i mean we we didn't even mention there were a few other big ones like there was a wally was that summer oh yes yeah and i was i was so excited for wally i was excited sure. for hancock because I was like, oh, man, you know, Will Smith in a superhero movie. That sounds really fun. And I mean, Kung Fu Panda, I remember. I was yeah. like, that looks pretty good. Yeah. It, and Wanted was like, oh, cool. An R-rated sure. kind of comic book thing. That, I mean. The first R-rated movie I ever saw in theaters. Wanted. There was also the Hellboy sequel. There sure. was the, um, I think the Strangers was technically a, a summer thing. And that was, ob- that was, there was some hype for that. Step Brothers was mm. around that time and tropic thunder pineapple express mm-hmm. i mean 2008 was stacked yeah and that's what and i mean I, yeah and it, it's like it, it to me that's why i was like i couldn't be bothered i was like indiana jones like i've got too much else on my plate quite honestly sure. yeah and then sure enough i watched king of the crystal skull and i was like yeah that sucked like i didn't mm. I, I genuinely was like this movie long and boring thanks mm. yeah I know. I mean, we're going to have our first uh, first ever argument on Cinemaholics. I'll, I'll, I have not rewatched Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, and I will say, I didn't, I didn't hate the movie the first, like, 20 minutes or something, but the last 30 of that movie, I was so checked out. Like, so beyond checked out. And I don't know how it would hold up for me today. Maybe I would, my tune would be a little bit different. Um, I mean, like I said, having recently rewatched these movies, I will say... It, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, it holds up less than I remember. I think I ultimately, and, I, and this is going to be sacrilegious, I feel like, to the internet. Um, so I, I'm going to have to dodge some uh, porks and uh, 
the, the pitchforks arrows and arrows and, and pitchforks yeah um but i think temple of doom and kingdom of the crystal skull are like kind of on par with each other I mean, that's not that controversial i've seen people put that out. i mean considering that people like still freak out about like nuke the fridge and all that stuff which sure i'm sorry nuke the fridge that scene is probably the best in the whole movie like i don't know why people get such a big like stink about that i mean is it yeah, kind of silly I, I know what you mean well that yeah. was like the height i think of like when reddit was really starting to sure. pick up as a thing and i remember i remember when it happened i was just like huh oh okay that doesn't make any sense but whatever sure. move on like i didn't i was like yeah i mean we're watching a schlocky b movie like right. am i supposed to expect something different i mean it makes i mean it's no less implausible than the the scene in temple of dune when they jump off of the plane into the like, yeah. raft and they go down and they fall into like the waterfall and like they're uh, completely unharmed or when uh young river phoenix gets into a magic box and like sure. somehow magically like goes under the train and runs off unscathed <laughs> I, I still think that's so much fun but um it is it is yeah. yeah but um yeah i mean obviously i agree with you in the sense that i think the big issue with kingdom kingdom of the crystal skull is that it gets worse probably about like 45 minutes to an hour into it in the second half suffers a lot from just baffling creative decisions and overly CGI. Cause like you said, the practical effects and the, the, the way the movie feels, those movies feel like real and like, they feel like people are really like getting their hands dirty and all that stuff gets lost when they, they feel like they're all on a green screen and you know, uh, it, Shia Booth is swinging from branches like uh, the monkeys. And I, I, I mean, that stuff is, is dumb. I, I don't really mind the end. I feel like people get really critical about like the actual use of aliens. I'm, I'm fine with that. I don't, I don't really get that big of an issue. I, I do think that movie does kind of suffer from revealing itself a little too early on with like, we find out Mac is like a double crossing, triple crossing guy. And we find out, here are the villains. Here are all this stuff, and then oh, like yeah, the Ryan Winstone character never right. made sense to Ray me. Wins. But yeah, uh, I would I would say that like it's for the aliens. It's not the what. It's the how. Sure. Like I don't care that it's aliens. I just care that like the way that they use the aliens is just very unremarkable to the t- and it doesn't stink. I think with the tone of the movie, it, and I think they could have done a much better job with the aliens. Like arrival i would have the same complaint mm. if it had used the same kind of you know uh, alien uh reference point honestly sure yeah i mean i guess for me uh i think it's a fine film like i i really don't have the begrudging begrudging hate that people have for that movie i can understand the complaints i can see why people were probably more angry and disappointed by it yeah but for me again i didn't ha- i don't have anger disappointment i didn't have expectations i was just indifferent sure and i was like yeah i mean this might as well end like this is the last sure. one that's probably for the best it, it i didn't have the angry and begrettled feelings that i had towards hancock as you mentioned which that's a film now that's a movie that starts strong in the first 20 minutes and then just completely shits the bed yeah as it goes true. along like what happened yeah, it's like after their their fight or whatever, I was like, ah, well, I guess this isn't a good movie. But, you know, we had some laughs along the way. Right. No, I mean, like, I mean, that's just a waste of a great premise. And then, like... It is, it is. Like, I don't like, the beginning's great. And then, like, like once he's in jail, it's like, uh, whatever. This is not a Hancock honestly, honestly, with Hancock, that, this is all I'll say. It's like, it's better to view it as, like, a short film. Sure. <laughs> just to kind of, like, check out after after Charlize Theron does that thing. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll have to discuss Hancock in our bonus review of Hancock. <laughs> the Hancock sequel. It's sure. uh, a day away. But yeah, so that was Crystal Skull. And 
I think that it at that point the writing was on the wall that like if they're gonna do another Indiana Jones movie, it's gotta be somebody else. It it's gotta be a different director. And they've been talking about doing something with Indy and making like more films like for years. I mean, I think as early as like 2012, like I think that people, I think people were still interested in uh, George Lucas's idea for, for a movie that he had for, for the fifth one um, going back as far as like when crystal skull came out, but they just, it just never came together. And I think because people understood that the movies just could never build up that same hype and momentum anytime soon. It was also difficult, I think to, bring Harrison Ford back after King of the Crystal School was on such a low note. But around the time when Lucasfilm um, and Star Wars and everything like that was firmly like in Disney, like uh, years after they had been purchased, but also like when Disney was kind of figuring out its branding for like, here's how we're going to do Force Awakens. Here's, here's the next five years of Star Wars stuff. I think that's when Kathleen Kennedy was starting to be like, all right, I think they confirmed they were going to do another Indiana Jones movie in like 2015 or something, the year that Force Awakens came out. And, uh, but it took them time to really like just further develop the the concept. Uh, sure enough, though, they did come up with something they were going to do. They kept delaying it into the 2020s, uh, particularly because I think that they did want Spielberg back, uh, but he was busy. Like, he was still doing, I think, um, one, of the, one of the movies that got in the way was Ready Player One. And uh, eventually they switched over to James Mangold, who directs this movie. And I think picking James Mangold, um, irrespective of what you think of the actual movie, I think it's actually a really smart choice. Uh, because as a director, Mangold, it's interesting because he's, he's both anonymous, but he also is an auteur in a very specific way. He's anonymous in the sense that he's done every type of movie there is. He's got a specific style but it's not tied to genre he can make a movie like copland he can also make a movie like logan and ford versus ferrari (laughs) like he's a very unusual director because those are all unmistakably to me james mangold movies but they have almost nothing in common i i can't look at a movie like walk the line and tie it to 310 to Yuma. (laughs) like there's just no way for me to do that but i think both of those movies are very much his also girl interrupted is another choice example of that. And he hasn't sure. made a ton of movies over the years. I think the movies that I think he's done, um, I, I think he's, he's a good writer as well. He hasn't written all of his movies, but, uh, I don't think he wrote Ford versus Ferrari, for example, but, uh, he, he, yeah, he, he's definitely a director who I think was a smart choice, but we we can, we can debate that. I don't know if you agree. I mean, it makes sense on paper, obviously, and then, I mean, I can see why after Logan, the way he was able to kind of tie up this like you know decade-spanning character yes. for uh, Fox and for uh, their division of the X Men franchise totally makes sense. And like you said, he's like a top-tier journeyman director right now in the sense that he can really produce like a good product, but he's not going to be like beholden to a style if it's going to be filling in for someone like Spielberg in this case, like he's not going to be, you know, like put too many mangled isms in there to like make it feel jarring or out of place. He's going to probably copy, uh, the, his father, you know, the, the grandfather of the franchise's style here. You if know, he was gonna... a Pokemon, he'd be ditto. Sure. And everybody loves ditto. But then at the same time, and it's like, 
I don't know how uh, much one can be criticized for this. It's like, he's not Spielberg. And, you know, I mean, that's not a fair comparison. I mean, it's not fair in most cases. Yeah, you're like, look, he's not the greatest blockbuster director of all time. So, right. Like we like, yeah, like some people were guessing or wondering about that. But yeah, I mean, it's like if you have like, you know, an airplane, uh, maybe a poor comparison given Harrison Ford's history. But uh, (laughs) you have an airplane and it's being guided by one guy for four of the five, you know, uh, hours of the trip. And then when you're about to land, that expert pilot, you know, Captain Sully or whatever is like, oh, I'm going to go use the bathroom. Hey, you know, my rookie guy. Why don't you land the plane? And it's like, that's the most important thing is landing the plane, uh, you know, in, in a steady way. I mean, I feel like if he came in to do like a middle installment, it'd be like, yeah, okay, yeah, you just kind of like filling in. But like for the very last film, it, it feels way more jarring to me to have someone trying to emulate, uh, you know, another filmmaker style in a way that it's less intrusive for the X-Men movies because like, who is he really copying? Like Brian Singer? You know, like he's just like, you know, he's in that movies. Those movies are far more anonymous in style. And he had the luxury to kind of just be like, I'm just going to do Shane with Wolverine. And this movie, it's like I have to figure out with every single shot and composition. What would Steven Spielberg do? And that's just pretty much like a thankless task for anybody. I I would say that mingled. So so often this question has come up of who is the successor to Steven Spielberg? And where most people land is there is not one. Uh, there are certainly directors who have approximated the Spielberg career and what he's accomplished. There are people, fantastic directors, who have been called like the next Spielberg, who have just ultimately not fulfilled that. Mangold is one of them. Mangold is one of the ones going back as far as the Wolverine and all that. It's like, yeah, you know, this is a guy who kind of like Spielberg. He can make big movies that work, but never quite like. I mean, I think in the case of Mangold, never close, I think, to like what Spielberg was able to accomplish. People put out like Alfonso Cuaron and, you know, M. Night Shyamalan famously, and um, even some of Spielberg's contemporaries like Zemeckis, J.J. Uh, Abrams, you know, somebody that people thought like, oh, it, maybe Abrams is the guy. Like maybe he's the one, him and Ron Howard. And But sure enough, like nobody's ever been able to pull it off. So to me, it's like, don't try. <laughs> like Spielberg wasn't trying to be anybody else but him right and i think that like if you were going to pick any directors to fill in the shoes of spielberg not to be spielberg it's uh and they're not even like directing all their stuff but phil lord and chris miller who are just like these are uh, people who are coming in and shaking things yes. up if that's two, how you want to fit it two directors who are on lucasfilm's good graces phil lord chris miller <laughs> it is wild to me right that they were the ones who were supposed to shepherd solo. And sometimes I think like, what, what would the star Wars cinematic landscape look like if they had stayed with solo? But if you go through that mind experiment, you also have to go through what if Colin Trevorrow had done rise of Skywalker. I think a lot of people will agree that probably wouldn't have been as bad as rise of Skywalker. Under Abrams, right? Absolutely. Even though Trevorrow did both Jurassic world dominion and the book of Henry. And uh, I think a lot of people look at that and say, well, I, I just want to see his Rise of Skywalker. It might, it might have been interestingly bad. Who knows? Yeah. But anyway, Dial of Destiny, which I, I'll just, I, I, just to reiterate, I, I went into this movie, no expectations, because I was like, well, I, I don't think I'm going to like it. I, I just, I haven't liked these movies that much ever. I've never been super into these movies. And I think like, 
again, people will hear that and be like, but John, you, you went to bat for uncharted. Like what is wrong with you? <laughs> again, I don't know what it is. I, I, I just, I appreciate these movies. I enjoy them. They're not movies I rewatch over and over again. They're not movies that I find all that. Like to me, like they're B grade movies. They've always been that way. And I think like people put like an air of importance on them that I don't understand. Like I've just always felt like people just put like so much stock into like Indiana Jones as a character and as a story, I guess to me, which is like, nah, these are, these are the original theme park ride movies. <laughs> like their whole construction is like riding a roller coaster. They're fun. They're like, it, to me, it's like, I, I don't treat them as anything more. I mean, yes and no, as far as the theme park comparison, I certainly feel that way about like something like temple of doom. Like there's even like a, a segment in there that kind of feels like a universal studios ride. Um, but I, I think they're more just emulating the serials that they watched. Yeah. They being Lucas and uh, Spielberg, like growing up as a kid. That's what they want. That was the whole point. They wanted to make those kinds of movies. And then, and it was because Spielberg wanted to make a James Bond movie, but uh, MGM wouldn't let him. So he right. and Lucas came up with this. Or like, was it, is it Buck Rogers? Is that the name of the Buck the, Rogers? The, yeah. 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 I mean, this kind of like adventure movie, like, again, it's like they, they weren't made to, I think be, these emotionally resonant sweeping my life has changed after watching this kind of movies. But I don't know. I think people are still like chasing a high they got from watching Raiders of the Lost Ark for the first time. Kind of, And to me, it's like, it's not like Star Wars, for example, Star Wars. I think that resonates on a deeper level, at least for me. And I think most people will look at Star Wars and be like, man, that is like a, a, a very like escapist story with, with a lot of stuff going on in, in its writing and everything these movies i'm just like yeah i'm gonna go to the theater and you know in this case like i've seen this is the second time i've seen one of these movies in an actual like movie theater four walls and i treat it as such i treat it as like yeah i might like it probably not though i will say knowing that phoebe waller bridge was going to be in this i didn't know anything else about the movie i i didn't watch the trailers or anything so i I, but i had seen the poster i knew that she was in it i was like okay well you know phoebe waller bridge flea bag she's she's fun like that to me seems like a better choice of a successor or sort of foil to indie than Shia LaBeouf was. I think that one of the biggest mistakes of Crystal Skull was like, oh, he's like his son and we're bringing Marion back like this. And I don't know. I just never really bought into that. I was like, mm. what? Gotta disagree. I just, Gotta have disagree. Any- I I think, I don't know. Like, I I feel like he, he has more like a stepdad energy, Harrison Ford's Indiana Jones. Not Not like, oh, I have an actual son by blood. I, I thought it made perfect sense to follow up uh, Last Crusade with him having his own dad issues. Like, it just made absolute sense to me. Like, he would have a troubled re- relationship with his father. Subsequently, he would have a troubled relationship with his dysfunctional son. Maybe maybe I forgot, though, but wasn't, like, the whole thing with his son, like, he didn't even know he existed? Sure. I mean, you know, that's the height of dysfunctional uh, fatherhood is if you don't even know you're a father. Maybe I need to rewatch Crystal Skull. Cause I, was it even his fault? Like, was it something that Marion kept from him or was it because he was like bad at Marion? I don't remember. It's been 15 years. Yeah, it's a little bit of both. Column A, column B. I don't know. I think I'd have to watch the movies. You did rewatch both of the movies. So you have uh, probably a deeper, like, okay, here's where they go together, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. yeah, I don't have that. I mean, you could argue about whether, Marion Ravenwood is like the true love of Indy's life or whatever, but well, that's unmistakable. Sure. I mean, I, I never minded that. I mean, I, I, you could argue that's more to be able. I never got the complaint about Indy having a son. And I thought Shia LaBeouf did a very good job. Like I thought he fit the role quite well. I, no, 
my com- our compliments towards Shia LaBeouf are maybe a little bit more uh, sparse these days, considering his character. But I mean, as far as the performance and the character goes, I thought it made perfect sense. So this movie, uh, as we mentioned, James Mangle directs and co-writes with a host of screenwriters, Dave Kep, uh, John Henry Butterworth, and Jez Butterworth. And the movie picks up in 1969. And so Indiana Jones, he is retiring from being a professor slash archaeologist. He's now in his 80s at this point, I think. Like, I think he's like 81 right now, Harrison Ford. And I think in the movie timeline, he's, he's around that age too. Uh, Harrison Ford's 80. Okay. And the last movie took place in 1957. So we're picking up just 12 years later instead of 15 years later. But we're now in 1969. It's when the Apollo space mission is coming back, Apollo 11. And it's it's an interesting choice of time because you do have sort of like this guy who's obsessed with history and like the world around him is obsessed with the future, going to the moon and back and all this stuff. And we have a cold open where we see a de-aged Harrison Ford and it's an extended cold open. I mean, I, I went rewatching Last Crusade. I was like, man, these used to be short. <laughs> these used to be like get in and out in 10 minutes. And this, this thing was like half an hour or something. And we we kind of see him uh, in the 1940s, uh, so height of World War II, which, you know, the last movie, like Last Crusade ended uh, right before World War II started. So that was kind of interesting. It's like, oh, what was uh, Indiana Jones doing during the World War? And uh, we get our answer to that. He was, as expected, punching Nazis and kind of, you know, doing stuff like that um, behind the scenes. But there's this whole thing where he and Toby Jones are like on this like little mini adventure and they come across the dial of Archimedes, which is a big MacGuffin. And there's this whole thing around the dial of Archimedes and that the Nazis want it and specifically a Nazi researcher who eventually becomes a scientist for NASA and helps get the rockets to the moon. And that's uh, Ethan Isidore. Uh, or no, not even his door. Um, that's not the name of the character. Uh, the name of the character is uh, uh, Jürgen Wohler, uh, played by Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, excuse me. And he and his like team of like evil dudes. Uh, Ethan Isidore plays uh, the sidekick in Tangier, uh, Teddy, who shows up at one point. And uh, yeah, so Mads Mikkelsen is our big villain. And then Phoebe Bridge plays Helena Shaw, who is Harrison Ford's or Indiana Jones' goddaughter. And she comes to him in 1969 and is like, hey, that, that dial that you and my father found, because she's the daughter of the Toby Jones character. And she's like, that dial you found, uh, you know, where is it? And then she, she's like looking for it. And so we kick off this whole adventure where it's a race against time and Nazi or former Nazis turned new, not neo-Nazis, I guess for this dial with mysterious powers. We go to places like Morocco and Greece and even a ticker tape parade in New York city. Uh, I walked out of this movie really surprised. And I know you were surprised by my reaction. I, I ended up really liking it. And this premiered at Cannes and it got very, very middling responses because it came out at Cannes. <laughs> I do find it funny whenever Studios are like, well, we have this movie. We think like maybe it has a shot at Best Picture. Let's let's premiere it at Cannes, though. You got to premiere it at like a festival, right? And I think sometimes that that's a very a very poor mistake because it, first of all, these movies don't have to premiere at festivals to get awards. Like this is not really like not necessary. It's the movie. Um, but anyway, it got mixed reviews, and it's gotten so far kind of a you know it, it's a big budget movie. This thing cost 
upwards of like probably around $300 million. It's one of the most expensive movies of the year. It's one of the most expensive. It's the most expensive Indiana Jones movie. And I came out of it being like, yeah, that was expensive. And I have a lot of, I I think a lot of this movie is unfortunate. Um, And I want to get into like what disappoints me about Indiana Jones movies and adventure movies in general these days. But for what it is, I thought this movie was a bit of a rip roaring blast. For me, I, I had a lot of fun with it. I think that uh, you just kind of have to get through a little sloggy, uh, some sloggy stuff that happens in the middle. But I think that the ending is really where people are going to like be for it or against it. And I thought the ending was like just right. I, I, I genuinely thought that that was actually like that fit the DNA of an Indiana Jones movie. We won't give it away, obviously, but I don't know. I, I had a feeling, though, walking out of the movie, I was like, I this is a John movie. I do not see this being a very this is not a Will Ashton movie. Am I right about that? So I had mixed feelings, I'll say overall. I agree that I think my expectations for this one were certainly a lot more campered uh, than they were for Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, not because of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull itself, but just because I was like, you know, at the time people made a big stink about, you know, Harrison Ford being older Indiana Jones, but he was still like 60 or something. It was, you know, it was fine. It was different. I mean, and it made sense to kind of end it there. Like, a man who, you know, like as we see in that uh, nuclear uh, abo- uh, atomic bomb test, like a man who's like kind of out of time and out of sync. He's entering the nuclear age. He, you know, he's not the man he once was. Uh, and so he's kind of settling down and, and finding, you know, peace with this one final adventure. It made sense to me as like, all right, this is where we're going to conclude the Indiana Jones series. If we didn't already kind of make peace with that with Last Crusade, with them walking off into the sunset and all that. Um, so yeah, I mean, it was one of the things where, yeah, I didn't really understand it. And then when Spielberg left, I was like, yeah, I mean, what's the point of this? I mean, I'm happy for Harrison Ford. Like I want him to kind of get a smile on that grizzled face of his, but I really don't without Spielberg, what are we doing here? But, uh, yeah, I mean the, the reaction from Khan definitely tampered my expectations more because I was still hoping for the best because the trailers looked fun. I was still like, okay, there could be something here. Mangold's a good replacement. Phoebe Waller-Bridge seems like a fun, you know, uh, addition to the cast. Mads Mikkelsen totally makes sense as uh, the villain. Toby Jones. And, and can I say, because you mentioned the trailer, I, I did watch the trailer after, while I was working on my review. Great trailer. Sure. Sympathy for the Devil. I, I was like, oh man, this movie looks pretty cool. Can't wait to see it. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, I still think it's a little weird to hear Sympathy for the Devil with Indiana Jones, but still a fun trailer. I think it works. Sure. Just barely. By the skin of its seat. It's kind of like a, it, it, it's like a perfect save as in perfect Hindi sure. fashion, right? I mean, compared to like, like what, the way that the, the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull uses Elvis to kind of establish a time, I feel it's a little bit more graceful about that than like the trailers for this movie, but you know, that's marketing. It's not the film. Um, in any case... Uh, yeah, the reaction from Khan definitely kind of watered my expectations. Granted, it's not like this is unheard of. Like, I think Kingdom of the Crystal Skull also premiered at the Khan Film Festival. Uh, I, I think it was less damaging than this, but nevertheless, uh, yeah. yeah they weren't in the social media age in sure. 2008. Facebook and Twitter were just, like, they were young bucks, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it just seemed like, uh, you know, my fears were kind of being proven at the the festival based on those reviews. Like it just seemed that people were kind of like, it's you know, it's kind of messy, it's over long, it doesn't have the Spielberg touch. 
uh, what are we doing here? Kind of a needless film. And I was like, all right. I was kind of just bracing myself for, you know, the worst. But you come out of it, and then the reviews after the film, uh, in addition to yours, were pretty much, you know, more positive. They were like, okay, you know, is it the best film ever? Is it Raiders of the Lost Ark? No, but it's fun. And I'm like, okay, I'll go in, hope for the best. And there's stuff here I like, there's stuff here I just don't like at all. I think the beginning of the film is rough. Uh, the de-aging in particular is just, uh, it does not work. It gives the film kind of like a Polar Express quality that I think is unintentional, as well as like a video game quality that I think, uh, you know, feels like the exact antithesis of what I want from Indiana Jones. Like, it's cool and interesting to see what he's like during the Second World War, because there's only like brief allusions to it in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Uh, but yeah, it just seeing his face not organically move with his younger body and then having kind of like this weird effect where his voice is still 80 year old Harrison Ford, but coming out of like a face that's made to look like him in Blade Runner, it just doesn't quite fit the mold for me. Uh, and I feel like that scene just made me yearn for like the conciseness and the zippiness of the last crusade. Um, so like when we have like this, overly long plotting extended cold open. I'm like, Oh man, uh, we're going to have quite an argument here on Cinemaholics, the podcast. Um, but <laughs> you know, once we actually get to like Phoebe Waller bridge and, uh, you get introduced to Matt Mickelson a little bit better. You get to see Boyd Holbrook who, you know, a uh, James Mangold regular kind of really yeah, yeah. fitting into this. Well, uh, as well as a few other, uh, fun nods to the seventies, I'm like, okay, you know, I'm actually kind of getting into this. This is interesting. It's fun. Uh, and there's like an extended uh, chase scene with Harris Ford on a horse in the New York subway system. I was like, okay, it's like way one for Mindy. It's fun. It, it doesn't have like quite the the precision that you would get from a Spielberg directed action scene, but there's some really fun touches. Like, you, you know, it, it feels inspired. I'm hoping for the best. And then once we kind of get into like the traditional, like now we're on an adventure, we're traveling the world. I feel like that's weirdly where the movie starts to kind of tamper down and kind of get repetitious and it feels kind of stale and it doesn't seem like there's that much excitement as far as the visual presentation of the film. It gets a little flat and I feel like Phoebe Waller-Bridge does the best she can with it, but doesn't really have that zippiness, especially with a makeshift uh, short round who is just totally intermediable just doesn't really affect the plot one way or the other just feels completely useless to me yeah well you know he there's a whole thing where they have to like go save him but then not really and then he there's a subversion of like who gets to take out the big old boy sure but yeah i mean at that point i'm kind of starting to check out it's really long if every action scene feels like it's like five or ten minutes too long and i'm kind of just like whatever it's just a mediocre uh indiana jones movie and then we get to, like you said, there's, I won't give it away, but we get to like the last act of the film and like, it really kind of surprised me, like how we get this like huge set piece. That's like really inventive and fun. And like, it feels totally in line with James Bond, but it feels like something you could only pull off now in terms of technology. Mm-hmm. And it's like, Oh, okay. This is actually really interesting. And then we get to a note and obviously it won't get away, but like, we get to a note that's like, if they have the uh, the balls to kind of end it here, this is like totally unexpected and also like a really kind of perfect note to end Indiana Jones on. And they, they kind of chicken out and they don't quite do that, but they still end it I don't on think a- it's a chicken out. I, I think it's a, a purposeful, like this is 
tie to the message of the movie. Sure. I get what you're saying. I feel it's kind of both, but uh, just for fun, I'll say they chicken out. Um, and they ended on a note that's still <laughs> really nice and sweet and actually kind of tender. Not as good as that other one that they tease, but still like, okay, this doesn't feel, it, it's enough to make it feel like, okay, this isn't a, a wasted effort. And I feel like throughout the film, I'm underselling how good Harrison Ford is. Yeah. He's giving like this really moving performance. Like he, it's clear that he really loves his character and that oh, yeah. he didn't just do this just for the sake of it. It's not like him playing Han Solo, even though he was good, obviously, in the uh, Force Awakens. But yeah, I mean, he, he's, he's giving a very kind of mournful, thoughtful performance here. And it's like, okay, like, it only makes me a little bit more frustrated that the rest of the movie's not living up to that or to Phoebe Waller-Bridge. Because it's like, okay, like, he's pretty, he's clearly bringing it. He's doing something unique with the character. And he's not, like, shy away from his age. Like, it's an interesting portrayal. And I think they really kind of get it right in key scenes at the end to make me, like, tear, uh, like, you know, get on the fence of, like, okay, maybe I do kind of like this overall. But I still feel like the stuff that lags and stuff that kind of drags prevents me from really loving it. But... I'll say that if it was if it had cut off before that end, like if it had cut off before we got any of that stuff, I would have been like, "This is a wash. This is bad." But having that ending in mind and ending it on like a really nice note makes me more sympathetic uh, than I would have been otherwise. That's about what I expect. I, I did not expect you to like the movie as much as I did, and I think that that, that all makes sense and is well argued. I, th- I think for me, the cold open works because. The, the, the whole point of the cold open, right, is one last Indiana Jones adventure in his prime. So we get to see him one last time. And I think the de-aging works more than it doesn't. There are times when it's like glaring like and very difficult to sit through, but it's a dark environment. And when you hear his voice, you're like, oh, yeah, like that is not, you know, that is not a man in his 40s. But I think what works about it is that the staging is quite nice. And it, I think there's an element of the cold open that applies to the rest of the movie as overlong as it is and as beefy as it is as a movie. The construction of it is simpler. There aren't, the, the, it's not an army of bad guys. It, it's just kind of like a small group of antagonists. The chase scenes are very focused. There, I, I think that, yeah, a couple of the chase scenes go on a little bit too long, but I do think it has those thrills. And I think part of what makes it thrilling is that Mingold lets the amount of characters be reduced. And so it feels a little bit more personal. It feels a little bit more one-on-one. Now, here's the thing. As much as I enjoy this movie, here's my recipe for an Indiana Jones movie that would be a huge success. Because this movie, I don't think, is going to make money. I think it's probably going to flop, almost certainly. I think it would have to make upwards of like $600 million in order to just break even. Yeah. I think it'll maybe make three hundred. Um so it's gonna uh, yeah I, don't know. I think it'll make probably like 500 worldwide uh, maybe it did it yeah. did have 150 it's at 150 right now uh, but i think that it's such a crowded environment like maybe it'll make upwards of 350 to 400 500 is on the high end though i, I just don't think this movie has legs uh sure we'll see we'll see i'm just looking at it compared to like like obviously fast x didn't do great here but still doing pretty well internationally i feel like that might be the case uh, for this film, I don't know if it's going to be able to open in China or if it's what the market's like for it, but I, I feel like it'll do well enough overseas to kind of lighten the burden of it, but not enough to make it a success. I, I just think the, yeah, the problem with that I see is that it June was just an absurdly crowded month in terms of big releases, like way too much. Um, it has 
opened in China. It's made 2.3 million in China. Um, it's already opened in a lot of markets, 52 countries and 70 million of its 150 is overseas. So to your point, it is picking up, but yeah, I just think that there's going to be too much competition. We'll see. We'll see. All that said, I, this is my recipe for Indiana Jones. This is what I would have wanted. First of all, I think we both agree that the green screen stuff, the CG stuff, to me, it does not feel like a decision of the filmmakers. To me, it just feels like a contrivance of the studio. This is what people want to see. They want to see Indiana Jones, but in the modern era, you have to do all of these advanced special effects. You have to make everything bigger and whatever. If you had marketed this movie around, they made this movie mostly practical effects and to mimic the style of the 80s movies but with like only the slightest modern touches where it still has that griminess. It still has that, like that old school quality, make it look like an eighties movie still like they have the technology to do that. I think of like all the times we watch these like grainy a 24 movies, you watch something like funny pages where they're like evoking the style of like something that came out in the early two thousands or late nineties. If you did that with Indiana Jones, a, it would be way cheaper and B People would be excited about that because people like it's it's different. Like I think that they're putting hundreds of millions of dollars into these budgets, and audiences are not getting anything out of that. The, the, and I think that people are kind of looking at the landscape in general with Hollywood, and they're saying, "Why do these movies cost so much? They look bad." Flash did not look good. This this visual effects did not look good. And a lot of it is because they're spending a lot of money, but they're not giving these people enough time to pull these things off because visual effects are so hard to get right. It takes so much time and effort. As we see with something like Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, it took, what, five years. And I think that if you would do something a little bit more practical, I think the studios are the ones who just keep getting in the way of that. They're like, well, we can't sell a movie like that. It, it has to, no, 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 it has to, it has to be larger than life. It has to, you know, you have to go to space, you know, you have to do all these amazing things because people will be like, well, I already saw that movie, but I'm just saying, man, if you, if you made an Indiana Jones movie still set in in 1969, but it looked older, like on purpose, like whether or not they do it with post or they use old school cameras, whatever it is, and you're using like animatronics and it looks a little bit faker in theory, I, I think it would kill. I think people would be like, wow, that looks cool. Like, oh man, yeah, I want to see that in the theater because like it's kind of like going back in time. Like these movies are losing escapism because like now that everything is ubiquitously like special effects, going to the movie theater to get that is just it's old hat. It's like, what, what am I getting? Like, I'm just getting the same old thing now. I'm not getting like a new world, like Jurassic Park promised me, or a new sort of like, wow, a sensational, like this is what you can do with special effects in a way that's like unpredictable, like you do with like Star Wars. So that's my pitch, Will Ashen. Are you going to give me the money to do it? Make my Indiana Jones movie? <laughs> I would not. I would not make a movie. It's hard to say. Um, I mean... At the beginning of the summer, I was pretty confident that this would be one of the biggest films of the summer. And for all I know, maybe it will be, probably not. <laughs> and I, I definitely was less... I, I I remember we talked about this. I was like, I don't know, Will. And sure. you're like, John, hold after Andy. You never know. Sure. He's going to give him hell. Hold my head. Um, but no, I mean, I think, uh, especially watching the film, it, it feels like kind of the epitome of like studio thinking right now, where it's just like, you know what kids are going to love? seeing an 80 year old man grapple with his mortality and just like his regrets yeah. in life. Let's give that budget 
$300 million. <laughs> like, yeah, because that is a big thing. Like I saw people being like, well, why, why isn't this movie making as much money? It's like, well, it's, it's hard when your main actor is in his 80s. And like it, it, it the kids don't want to go see that. And, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge is not like a, a star. Like I think that's that was the thing behind Shia LaBeouf. And it's unfortunate because I do think Phoebe Waller-Bridge is really good in this. <laughs> like I, I liked her a lot. I don't know if you didn't really say, right, if you liked uh, Bridge. I mean, I guess you, you said that like the movie, she's better than the movie around her. Yeah, I mean, I think she's good. I mean, I think she's just doing, you know, what's kind of expected. Like, I don't think she, yeah. like, elevates the material beyond, like, you know, she gets a very Phoebe Waller-Bridge performance, which I love. I mean, yeah. It's fun to see that, at least in terms of the writing, the mentee is also the femme fatale. That's like a fun, like, oh, that's something different to do here. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, I, I take no issue with her. I think she does the best she can with the material, and I think she works well with Harry support. I want to do something a little bit different. I feel like we have not been as populist here on Cinemaholics. I want to read a couple of the popular Letterboxd reviews and let you react to them. Uh, both positive and negative. How about that? Oh, boy. So this, All right. is, this is James. He gave the movie one and a half star. Okay. He said, a near inconceivable train wreck. I went in morbidly curious if it was slightly better or worse than Crystal Skull. And instead... I got something whose closest kin is Rise of Skywalker, undoing nearly everything from its controversial predecessor but forgetting to fill the gaping hole at its center with anything meaningful or worthwhile. Boring sidekicks, buffoonish villains who teleport to wherever the plot needs them to be, a complete lack of visual style, trite dialogue outside of a single good one-liner about Poland, and an overwhelming sense of been there, done that permeate this obscenely dull and overly long snooze fest. He goes on. There's plenty more here, but sure. uh, what, do, what do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, a little harsher than I would be. Uh, you know, I can kind of, I get the been there, done that feeling of it until the end. Uh, we didn't really talk a lot about the villains. I mean, we mentioned Matt Nicholson's in the film and, and a little Boyd bit about his character. But yeah, I mean, I was going to say, like, I don't know. Matt Nicholson, uh, I think he gives a performance that he could give in his sleep. He, he's fine, but, like, he's played this character many times before. I kind of wish the movie was more willing to make Boyd Holbrook, like, the central villain. Because I feel like his character is way more interesting, and especially in like a timely way, like the idea of like his character kind of being infatuated with these forces of evil that lost and feeling like he can buddy up and like, you know, kind of fix the errors of the past and get with yeah. someone who has that, that mentality is way more interesting in a timely fashion. And that could fit in that time period. And I wish they leaned into that more. And I don't know if that's Disney being like, Hey, we can't like, push back on, you know, like these political factors or whatever. But I feel like I would have been more engrossed in the film if they actually leaned into that idea. This is from Reese. He has the most positive review on the list of the popular reviews on Letterboxd. Reese wrote, one of the first memories I have as a kid is watching Raiders of the Lost Ark with my dad. Today, I just saw the final Indiana Jones film in Cannes with Harrison Ford in the room. I cried. So kind of that uh, festival reaction, oh, right? That's and, sweet. Uh, that's sweet. I guess, I guess he sees uh, Harrison Ford as another kind of father, right? Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, it's a touching review. Uh, and most of these reviews are around three stars. Here's one of them. Nazis get punched. This is from Cinema Joe. Nazis get punched. Treasure gets hunted. And there's a lot of jokes about Indy being old. Your standard indie and Disney fanfare, which isn't necessarily a bad thing. But in its attempt to capture the Spielbergian charm, Dial Destiny at times feels more like the next entry in a Fast and Furious movie than it does an indie movie. Big CGI action, set pieces that are entertaining at first, but never blow you away. Repetitive and drawn out for far too long. Uh, a little bit more on top of that, but uh, definitely the review continues around that's those same lines. Do you agree? 
Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I'm closer to that one than the three you've read so far, or the two you've read so far. <laughs> the two. Um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, I don't know. I mean, like you say, like, I think there's stuff this movie does well, and I think there's things this movie doesn't do well. I, I feel like at this time, the, the stuff that doesn't quite get right is nagging on me more than the stuff that I feel like it does pretty well. But I don't know. Maybe if I sit with it more, I'll really kind of be touched by how kind of uh, unexpectedly affecting I find the ending to be. So a shot with the Rotten Tomatoes game. All right, so we have 313 reviews counted for Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. 313, that's a lot. Well, Ashton, what do you think the critic score is right now? One of them is mine, and you know I liked it. I gave it 7.5 out of 10. Uh, I think it's positive. I, I don't know if it's, like, certified fresh positive. Um, probably not considering the, the reviews of the Cannes Film Festival, which I think made the film debut in, like, a 50% or something like that early on. I think it debuted too with like fewer than a hundred, but sure. you know, reviews, but I think it was a lot. A lot of people saw this that night. Yeah. But in any case, uh, it's probably gonna be higher than kingdom of the crystal skull, which I think has like a 62%, but not as high as the original. So I'm going to say 73%. So I'm actually going to check kingdom of the crystal skull. Cause I, I don't know what the <laughs> it's rotten tomatoes is. Uh, I've never looked at all the, the movies together like that but you said uh how much uh, what was it you guessed so i guess 62 for kingdom of the crystal skull and i said 73 i believe for uh uh dial of destiny i think you would be closer if you swapped them because wow. dial of destiny is 68 okay. percent and C- crystal skull is 77 percent which is oh, certified wow. fresh funny enough mm-hmm. um and uh Crystal Skull has 309 reviews, so that kind of tells you how much uh, things have changed. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, Dial Destiny is 68%, and uh, it did climb a bit. I think it was around, like, it was between 60 and 66 for a while, and then it perked up a bit, perked down a bit. It's been kind of all over the map. Uh, what about the audience score, though? We have 2,500-plus verified ratings. Uh, I don't know. I feel like audiences are probably going to be more receptive to this film than they were for kingdom of the crystal skull like you said i mean it's kind of easy to forget that kingdom of the crystal skull had pretty good reviews going into it it did and then, like uh, you know it kind of had the prequel effect where like critics initially were kind of like yeah it was okay and then you know over time the fans were just like seething with anger being like that was not okay yeah, I don't, I don't know what its audience score might have been, Crystal Skull, back in 2008, but like now it's like 53%, which I think, yeah, to what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. So yeah. I, I thought that effect might happen more, I guess, with King of Crystal Skull, considering how much I hear about people hating that movie. But I guess it's still pretty high. It's still like the original consensus there. Uh, but as far as the audience goes, um, I'm going to say 78%. You're off by 10 it's oh, actually eighty eight percent. Eighty eight percent. Okay, yeah, it's yeah, pretty I high. I feel like these. I think it makes sense. I think it's a crowd pleaser. Sure. You know, and I think that opening weekend of people who wanted to go see it did go see it and got a lot of what they wanted. And I think it's probably still a, a mixed response. Or I'm sure like a lot of people were like me. It's like, yeah, there's some stuff I don't like, but I got some classic indie thrills, so I'm good to go. Sure. I, I feel like I've been lowballing uh, these scores of late. A little bit. Yeah. And it's a hat. It's it's clouding your judgment. Um. Okay. Cinema score. What do you think? Um, well, you know, like you said, I think audiences probably enjoy this. I don't know if it's going to be like a level enjoy, but uh, I feel like they're going to be satisfied. Maybe some qualms, but still with it. So I, I say 
I don't know. I feel like A minus is too high. B plus seems a little low, but I feel like B plus is closer than A minus. So I'm going to say B plus. They're going to say like B plus plus. B plus plus, yeah. You got you got the symbol score. B plus okay. is is correct. I I yeah, that's funny. Yeah, I, I would have been between a B and a B plus, and that would have been a tough one for me. Uh, but you made the right call. And then we'll finish out with Letterbox. We have ninety four thousand watches on here. That's not a ton right. for a movie ostensibly this big, especially among sure. people who on Letterbox. I'm sure watch a lot of older movies. So, what do you think the average rating is so far? Um. Hmm. Uh, I'm gonna say. 3.2? So close. Hmm. Just like last week, you're only off by 0.1. That's 3.1. I'm not even going to make you guess because I'm sure you would guess lower. <laughs> that yeah. would make sense, right? Um, yeah, 3.1. So yeah, lots of three-star ratings. I mean, I, I'm looking at my mutuals. I'm seeing some three and a half. So I'm not seeing a lot of fours. You know, friend of the show, Charlie Ridgely, gave it three and a half. Uh, Clint Worthington, friend of the show, gave it two and a half. Ryan Oliver gave it two and a half. Chris Vangelista, two and a half. Um, so really, I'm seeing more two and a halves than I am threes right now. Uh, but then Aaron Dicer gave it four. Uh, yeah, so it, it, it's a little bit all over the place. I Man of the Jedi gave it three. Um, so yeah, definitely one of those movies where I think that... People are kind of giving it a pass, and we'll see if that holds up over the years. And people will reevaluate the movie either more negatively or more positively, similar to, I guess, to what you're saying, like King of the Crystal School. I, I wasn't like super online in 2008, but I remember in the early 20 teens, really around the time like when those like uh, Red Plinket reviews of like the prequels were coming mean, out uh, and I started getting more into like the Reddit stuff and seeing uh-huh. like, wow, yeah, people really hate <laughs> certain uh, movies. <laughs> and, uh, particularly Crystal School, I thought I was kind of um, not alone on not mm. liking that movie, but I do remember people being like, that was good, you know, and then kind of like, not over the moon or anything, but I do remember like I was kind of like the weird ones who was just like, oh, I didn't like that movie. Or, Maybe I'm just not an Indiana Jones fan like the rest of you. No, I mean, well, I, I, I did find it funny that you said uh, Red Plinket as opposed to Red Letter Media. Or oh, Mr. yeah, Red Plinket. Letter Media, Red Plinket. <laughs> <laughs> um, so we didn't talk about Ruby Gilman, Teenage Kraken this week, uh, but that mm. is out in theaters. Uh, also, Nimona is on Netflix, which uh, I'd like to go see that. Uh, otherwise, the only other major release we have coming up here that I see, uh, we do have Insidious the Red Door. They're not even screening it for critics. I'm not going to mm. watch it. Uh, but uh, Mike, Mike Overholz is going to be seeing it this week, so I'm going to be asking him what's going on there. But A Joyride, that's a big movie. My review of that movie is coming out today. And <clears throat> I think Joyride is the big, big release. Definitely want to talk about that. I'm still waiting for Will Ashton to watch Past Lives. Um, that, that is uh, certainly... You know, one of one of the ones that I was like, man, if we can do a bonus of that, we're running out of time, I think, sure. in terms of uh, the listener's patience. But uh, we'll, we'll do what we can. So, yeah, what is our review next week? I think Joyride, right? If that's what you want. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, I mean, what else would be? <laughs> Joyride well, uh, is definitely going to be the big movie of the, the, the weekend. Um, it's going to be in theaters well, on Friday. And uh, it's, yeah, it's looking like it might make some money. I mean, I definitely think Insidious is going to make more money. But you think uh, so? Oh, almost certainly, yeah. I mean, horror movies tend to do better right now than comedies. I mean, it's just... I guess so. But I feel like Joyride has... Uh, I mean, it has 100% on Rotten Tomatoes right now. Spoiling sure. the Rotten Tomatoes game. But that, I mean, that's going to change, sure. uh, to be clear. Uh, but I think that it... I don't know. I think we've seen movies like this. Like, we've seen movies like Girl's Trip, for example. You know, mm-hmm. like a summertime uh, female-focused comedy, R-rated comedy, good marketing, good marks from critics. That kind of thing, I think can do well um but it is a question mark because we live in a weird time 
So I yeah, I don't know. I just feel like these days studio comedies, whether they get good re- good reviews or not, tend to do middling to bad business. Like I mean, we just saw you know no hard bros. feelings like doing yeah bros no hard feelings is doing like okay, uh, you know. Booksmart, you know, like these movies, like, I don't know, it, it's not a certainty that I feel like, oh, if it got good reviews, it's going to be a difference. Hit, but, but Girls Trip is a good comparison. I, I think the say. difference, yeah, because Joyride, like Girls Trip, is actually like, has a very, very funny trailer. And I think Booksmart was, did have a funny trailer, and that one did fine. Uh, I think like, it, it made money. But uh, I think Joyride just has like a more, I think it has a more interesting setup. And so, and I know a lot of people are like, well, you know, it could be the next crazy rich Asians in terms of like turning out a demographic that doesn't usually go to theaters, watch these movies. Cause they're like, you know, they're, they're these movies aren't usually built to appeal to them, but Hey, we'll find out pretty soon. I, I hope, I hope you like Joyride. I, I don't know if it's exactly your kind of thing, but, uh, I hope that you have a fun theater experience with it because, it, it is fun to watch this movie with a theater that's excited to watch it because sure. people are going to laugh a lot. And like, there's energy to it, even if, you know, not every joke lands for everybody. Right. Yeah. I mean, the only thing I got to push back on is I do not think those trailers look good. Um, I know I'm talking about like to the normal population. I have seen that the trailers for that movie in multiple audiences, and I cannot remember a single time I've seen an audience member laugh at the trailer. It must be a Pittsburgh thing because <laughs> I genuinely have seen the complete opposite. Uh, right. Yeah, maybe it's more of a California vibe. Who knows? Maybe. I don't know. I'm just saying, I want the movie to be good. Obviously, I want it to be. Uh, I mean, you, you love it. You've seen it twice already. I, I, I want to have that experience because I feel like I haven't seen a studio comedy in a while that I've just like really fallen for. So I'm hoping for the best, but yeah, I just will say that the ads I've seen aren't doing it for me, but maybe they'll give me a bigger surprise next week. The other notable miss for us that we haven't covered is the blackening. Uh, we've got oh, yeah. a couple notices. Yeah. I've, I've heard some from some folks being like, you yeah, guys haven't watched that movie or talked about <clears throat> it. What's going on. Right. It's been in theaters. I mean, it came out at the worst time. I mean, it just came out when so much other stuff was hitting and I genuinely like, I really want to watch it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know about you. Yeah. I want to see it. Yeah. I heard it's good. But for now, that'll do it for this week's episode of Cinemaholics. Uh, don't forget to connect with us on the social medias. Uh, we, we aren't really going to be doing anything with the Twitter anymore because Twitter's just kind of just too broken. Uh, but we do have an Instagram. So if you want to connect with us, find the latest episodes. We have our Instagram account up. Uh, we also have a Discord server, uh, which you can find in the links of the show notes. Hang out with us there. You'll also find new episodes and all that good stuff. And you can chat with us a little bit more uh, in a fun format. So until then, though, from the Internet California, I'm John Negroni. And for the internet of Pennsylvania, I'm Washington. See you next time.